What's up, and welcome to episode number three of the Sons of Saturday podcast. I'm Tyler Rojak, coming to you live from Bristol, Connecticut. I'm taping this from the inside of a 5x5 closet. We've got Luke Smith from his apartment in Chicago, like a normal person, and uh, I'm really excited about the show. We've got some awesome stuff planned, and I realize that's what every host says at the beginning of their podcast, but this time, it's real. We're going to get into Notre Dame's demolition of South Florida here in a second, then we'll preview the game this weekend against Wake Forest, the uh, Mayo Classic. What's it called, Luke? The Duke's Mayo Classic, because college football games need to be sponsored by a mayonnaise company and <laughs> for God knows what reason. Yeah, this is a first. Uh, and then we'll finish with a fantastic interview with Mike McGlinchey, the former All-American, first-round pick, captain of the 49ers. Uh, he was able to spend some time with us in the middle of the season, and it was great. We think you guys will enjoy it. But first, Luke... Let's rewind to Saturday. Was your viewing experience for this game a little bit better than last week's? It was appreciably better than it was last week. You know, I guess I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit here. You sent me a text about an hour before the game saying you were nervous and, and thinking that <laughs> yes. we were going to struggle. And I looked at the text. For context, I was on a boat with some great people really enjoying myself. And I was like, I'm not nervous at all. I'm going to watch this on my phone on the app and – I have quite a bit of money on us to cover. The line kept going down. We later learned that was due to Notre Dame missing a number of starters in this ballgame. But for, South Florida might be the worst team I've ever seen Notre Dame play. Um, I think they were definitely worse than New Mexico was last year. And one of the things we've talked about a lot is just kind of the stability that Brian Kelly 2.0 has brought. Notre Dame hammers teams like that. Um, and so my... My confidence level going into this game was quite high, and my you know, p- decision to, to sit on a boat and just hang out with friends and watch it on my phone, I think, reflected that as, as well as the money I put on it um, <laughs> that I won. Of course, the Bears and their idiocy and inability to cover wiped that all out the next day, but that's neither here nor there. However, uh, really enjoyed watching that game on my phone and, and just not having to worry about anything. Really just a, a simple kind of thing that I was paying you know, a lot of attention to still, so I, I kind of apologize to people I was with if I wasn't very social. However, I had a great time. I was drinking on the water watching Notre Dame hammer South Florida, so um, it was a pretty great viewing experience. Definitely better than the bar last week. Yeah. Well, okay, in my defense, when the line started going down quickly, I was like, okay, that's. I think all of us were like, that's a little bit weird. It, op- it was at 24 and a half on Saturday morning. I think it got down to... 21 and a half maybe 22 depending on where you're getting it um so yeah i mean any time there's a three-point shift the day of the game i'm gonna be a little worried and then when notre dame released that they're missing eight total players seven of which are due to well presumably due to covid protocols with kyle hamilton being the lone confirmed injury scratch while he was dealing with his ankle yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie i was uh I was a little bit nervous. I think you said they were going to score some points. Um, they scored zero. <laughs> yeah, see, you know, well, the thing is I had faith in the Weiss decisive schematic advantage. <sighs> and that's – this game This game kind of reminded me of a scrimmage I played in <sighs> when I was in fourth grade. That was a bad scrimmage that I felt like we watched the other day. So It was pretty emblematic. So when I was in fourth grade, this is my first year of playing tackle football. I was nine years old, and it was before the season – and we had a pretty good team. We haven't played a game yet, but we knew that we had a pretty solid roster. And our coaches decided that it would be a good idea to scrimmage the fifth and sixth grade team. Um, ten plays on offense, ten plays on oh, defense. Dear. 
it's just sort of a, a measuring stick to kind of figure out what we have. And you think I'm undersized now. Like, imagine me when I was nine years old. I might have weighed 60 pounds. Anyway, first play, we're on offense. I get a sweep to the right. I'm running right. Corner's there. So I take one step up the field and get absolutely crushed by the linebacker. Like, I mean, hell, the kid's in sixth grade. You know, sixth grade kids are going through puberty. I'm 24 years old. You still still have Yeah, I still haven't hit puberty yet. So I go flying like 15 yards backwards. My helmet is literally sideways. I look up seeing stars, but through the ear hole of my helmet, because that's what's covering my eye right now, I could see the coaches looking at each other like, oh, well, maybe, uh, maybe this was a bad idea sending these fourth graders against a fifth and sixth grade team. And that's how I imagine Jeff Scott felt. I mean, he's been around Clemson for a few years. He was probably like, you know what? Yeah, let's get this game in against Notre Dame. Let's uh, kind of see what I have here at USF. And uh, it's um, not a whole lot. He doesn't, he doesn't have, have anything. anything. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. I watched the game, obviously, on the boat. Rewatched it a little bit yesterday. I still can't tell you one name of anybody on South Florida. They played three quarterbacks. They had that little scat back, the little short guy who was really fast with a couple nice runs. I think he's number 10. But the only names I know from South Florida are Charlie Weiss Jr., Jeff Scott, and Jeff Scott's dad. I mean, they were that <laughs> unmemorable that I, I can't tell you a single player's name on that roster and that poor you know, 30-year-old punter that had a rough yeah. day. That was like a safety hazard at that. I want to give a shout-out, though, to that punter. Trent Schneider. I've got his name. Okay, you got his name. Good. I got his name. And Jordan McLeod. He was the quarterback. He's the only other Didn't they play like three quarterbacks, though? I mean, Yeah, they did. I want to give some (laughs) – Trent Schneider had a rough game. On that one in the end zone, though, pretty impressive that he got that off. I agree. Like, he got the punt off, and the foul just got decked (laughs) while he kicked it. But he at least got it out of the end zone. He didn't end up like that uh, punter from the Citadel. Which, I mean, that was the worst pun I've ever seen. Have you seen that? This is great radio talking yes. about. The, I mean, isn't that the YouTube video? Isn't that what it's called? Literally the worst pun I've ever seen or something along the lines yeah, of that? It's, it's pretty atrocious. But all right, let's get into the three things we like from Saturday. First thing for me is the de- defensive plug-and-play that Notre Dame had when they did lose three starters, but it didn't even matter. So we've got Jack Kaiser, who's starting at the Buck linebacker position. On Tuesday and Wednesday, he was working with the scout team. On Saturday, the day of the game, he found out he was starting. And then right. he leads the team with seven solo tackles, eight total, two tackles for a loss, and he gets the game ball. So that's pretty impressive. The whole defense dominated. I mean, again, South Florida was grossly incompetent, looked like a JV high school team. But either way, I mean, that's pretty impressive to do without three starters. And then secondly, the offensive line, you know, we kind of were like, ah, oh, were they that good last week? Oh, this week they just completely manhandled them. And I'll include the tight ends in that because – um, our boy Tommy Reese was going two tight end and sometimes even three tight end sets and just, just ran it right through and around South Florida. They had three total plays on offense that went for negative yards and one single registered QB hurry. I'm not even, I, I try to figure out which one. So they're averaging 6.2 yards per carry. And last one, Brian Kelly defense squad, <sighs> that halftime speech got me going. How about you? Yeah, I'm still not really sure if that was targeted at, one, the Weiss administration in general, or two, Jeff Scott for that Clemson game a couple years ago, but definitely love to see that. Don't think he realized that was going to be aired. Um, No, he's definitely pissed. It was fantastic. Need to see more of that. Notre Dame needs to do a way better job of marketing Brian Kelly in general. That was awesome to see. It was, and I think uh, it's just so 
like hilariously ironic that he's like, I'm tired of being the nice guy. When that South is Florida. not. Yeah. Who's ever called him nice? Yeah. When the purple face Brian Kelly, like his reputation that has followed him over the past nine years was again South Florida. So he's like, I'm tired of being the nice guy. Look, maybe he gives those speeches all the time. I don't think anyone is really going to mistake Brian Kelly for uh, William Wallace from Braveheart in terms of like giving a rah-rah <laughs> speeches. But I actually thought that, was, I mean, judging from the uh, reaction in the locker room, I thought, I thought that they liked it a lot. So those are three things I liked. What about you? What do you like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, the dominance of the offensive line coupled with that. I just loved the stable of backs we had that just ran through South Florida's defense, whether it was, Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, or Sebo Flemister. At one point, they all put their shoulder through somebody, and that was just so. That physical style of running was just so great to see. Sebo Flemister, in particular, you know, who's kind of buried on the depth chart, but really showed that, yeah, I can help you guys win some games this year. Um, in, in what's looking like a season where there really only might be one game, which is Clemson, as we all know. You can still rely on Sebo Flemister to beat North Carolina, beat Louisville. Um, that was great to see. Great to see Chris Tyree get his first touchdown as well. Um, also, you know, I will give Jafar Armstrong uh, a lot of credit here. The the second thing I love to see was that third and 13, the last play of the first quarter, the running back screenplay we ran to Jafar to pick up the first down that had a tremendous crackback block from Tommy Tremble. Just a beautiful play design. Um, I remembered when we saw this exact same play to Dexter Williams at Yankee Stadium two years ago on our first touchdown, and it might be one of my favorite plays we've ever ran, and I, I love when we run it. You know, my Instagram bio is currently, currently uh, flare screens and wheel routes. I, I might have to add in... Um, uh, running back screens just because I mean I don't really know what to call this one but we might need a name for it because we ran it twice and I absolutely loved it both times um, and then the third thing was and we touched on this also Jordan Batello the freshman from Hawaii just absolutely wreaking havoc that poor middle-aged punter on South Florida <laughs> felt the brunt of that does he have a kid does the punter have like a wife and kids I don't know I mean but he, he might Probably. you know but, I mean, I've Jordan Botello, very highly touted, coming out of Hawaii. You love to see your freshmen make the most of the opportunities they get. Um, Notre Dame just has an embarrassment of riches along the defensive line. And, and you know, special teams right now is showing to be Botello's time to, to shine. And he really did that on, on Saturday. And he just loves to hit people, you can tell. Um, I, I think he got into, like, a fight in his senior year of high school. I remember reading this. He almost – there were almost some issues with him actually coming to Notre Dame because of this. He got into a fight at like a basketball game or something, but good to see him channel that energy into something positive uh, for the Notre Dame special teams unit on Saturday. Hold on. Go. Let's follow up on that fight. Was the fight like during the basketball game? He wasn't even playing. He was like a fan and got into a fight with the opposing student section, just kicked the shit out of a couple kids. I think don't quote me on this. We can find the article. Um, I'm getting research on it right now. But school. this, uh, this happened, it was also like just prior to the pandemic. So uh, a lot of things get, get washed. But I do remember this vividly. And, and he definitely has a, a bit of a mean streak in him, if you will. Well, good for him, man. I mean, hell, you've been to high school basketball. Well, you played high school basketball. You weren't really a part of the student section. 
high school basketball student sections get super intense. I could see someone throwing hands, especially if I was like physically superior to well, yeah, everyone it that like I was. Yeah, like you took about with. five guys. So oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That should have been a yeah. good thing, honestly. All right, there wasn't a whole lot to not like, but what didn't you like in that fifty-two to nothing route? Yeah, so last week we had Pete Sampson on to talk about Jordan Johnson and, and where he stands with Brian Kelly in the program. We did get a Jordan Johnson cameo on Saturday. Unfortunately, it was followed with a stupid unsportsmanlike penalty. Um, not sure that that's going to trend so well in, in you know fixing the traits, that ominous word that Brian Kelly loves to use. Yeah, you see Sebo got the traits thing. That's why he didn't play last week. Yeah. At Brian Kelly's uh, press conference today, he, uh, he used traits again, man. It's a loaded word. Yeah, he's, he's been using it for 11 years. and uh, at this Never point, good. It's never no. a good thing. But I uh, hate that. And, and coupled with that, so we did talk about how we just ran all over them, which I understand completely. When you can do that, why the hell throw the ball at all? However, I would have liked to see us take a couple deep shots Jordan Johnson maybe is the guy that can help us stretch the field and do that sort of thing. We're going to have to stretch the field against Clemson. Um, And I totally get that against South Florida, you can just get away with running the ball every time. But it was kind of an opportunity for Ian Book to show, like, yeah, I can do this. Like, this is sure an opportunity for me to work on some things. Didn't see that at all. Again, we don't really have a receiving core right now, which is kind of an issue. Um, Braden Lentzi played played pretty well, but we need Skoranek back. We need Kevin Austin back, and maybe that's when we'll see those deep shots being taken, um, but I would have liked to see some on Saturday. I thought that was an opportunity to work on that. Lastly, how the hell was there no coming home video played on the Jumbotron <laughs> in honor of Chuck Jr.? Um, I mean, I, I asked people at the game. They said there was no such... Uh, video that's just a complete missed opportunity to pay some respect to Charlie Jr. and provide us with some phenomenal content. So, uh, real big miss by the Notre Dame marketing department. Uh, just getting that out there now. Charlie Weiss uh, Jr. definitely deserved more. <laughs> I did kind of appreciate though how Charlie Weiss Jr. just sort of leaned into everything the whole week and all the coverage that was brought to him and his dad and everything that happened. So it seems like he's got really thick skin. All right, here's what I didn't like. First thing. Uh, we got John Goodman 2.0 returning punts. I don't know why. We had Lawrence Keyes back there last week, who at least was a solid four-star recruit, had an offer from Alabama, and is known to be really fast and a dynamic athlete. So I'm not really sure what led to the change, but I don't know why Notre Dame has become so just mundane in the punt return game. I guess, you know, rather have um, just a fair catch than like a fumble or something like that. Didn't love that. I also really hate how people are now comparing Ian Book to Phil Dracovich based uh, on Dracovich's game against Duke and Book's just like ho-hum performances the last two games. I mean, he didn't have to do anything against South Florida. He realistically could not have attempted a single pass, and Notre Dame would still have won by at least 35. Can so, I say something? Oh, yes. This is an anti-Phil Dracovich podcast. Um, <laughs> he has taken some parting shots at – Brian Kelly and the coaching staff. I hope we beat Boston College 57 to nothing. Um, there was a Les Miles quote once used about Gunnar Keel when he decommitted from LSU to eventually commit that. to Notre Dame about some young men don't have the shoulders to lead a program. Um, Phil, you didn't have the shoulders to win the job at Notre Dame. So I, I'm sick of Phil Jerkovic talk in Boston College. I hope we beat them 57-0, and I am on the hill that this is an anti-Phil Dracovic podcast. See, I don't even mind that 
Djokovic transferred or that, I mean, it sounds like from everything we've heard that his relationship with Chip Long was horrible. Yeah, and, and everybody Chip, else. Yeah, that's true. Chip just berated him. And I don't know what happened with his development and his throwing motion. Think back to that spring game in 2019. Was it the 2019 spring game where it looked like he couldn't even throw a ball? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, listen, buddy, it's not Brian Kelly's fault you forgot how to throw the football. Uh, maybe a change of scenery helped. You know, obviously did have a pretty solid first game against Duke, but I, I've heard enough of how Boston <laughs> College has exposed you to resources you've never had before, like seeing tapes of Joe Montana. I don't think he realized the irony in that statement. Um, but here we he are. He did have a good game. He had a good yeah. game against Duke. He went 17 for 23, 300 yards, two touchdowns. He did throw a pick, but one of those touchdowns, it was like a 65-yard post route. There was no one within 30 yards of the receiver. College football defense. Is, it was almost baffling. the worst blown coverage I had seen all game until I watched Miami-Louisville at yeah. night, and Louisville <laughs> just blew like four of those. But anyway, dude was wide open. He had a good game. The thing that I don't understand here now, it, what really annoys me is Notre Dame fans who are like, oh, my God, we let Phil Dracovic. He's way better than Book Walkaway. Yeah, that's right, because most coaches routinely give – the less talented and inferior guy, the starting job, especially Brian Kelly. He's never been known to make a quarterback switch midseason or, or go to the better backup. He's never done that. So I'm sure, <laughs> like, that's the shit that pisses me off is when ever like, he has one good game against Boston College. Everyone's like, oh, he's clearly better. Like, what has happened in the past two years that would suggest he was even close to Ian Book? So that was a long-winded number two. The last thing I did like... Uh, I don't like that Notre Dame has a cornerback named Clarence getting 33 snaps. And this is nothing against Clarence Lewis. He's a true freshman. He's a low three-star recruit. Played and now he's well. getting Played really well. But the name Clarence forever ruined by the eight-mile scene when Eminem and Papa Doc are going at it. And he's like, what's the matter, dog? You embarrassed? This guy's a gangster. His real name is Clarence. I trust Clarence, a uh, Clarence, to do my taxes. I don't trust a Clarence. <laughs> to cover the deep third against Clemson. I'm sorry. I just don't. I mean, again, no disrespect to Cla Clarence Lewis as a player. He had a really good game, but I feel uneasy when Trevor Lawrence is looking at film and he's like, this guy's name is Clarence <laughs> at corner. Clarence. Yeah, I didn't realize Go people deep were every still time. naming their kids Clarence. but His parents clearly have never seen 8 Mile. Honestly, just rude to them. I mean, well, he's that's probably it. born after Eight Mile was made, right? These kids are at this point are pretty young, so yeah. Do you, he might not even know who Eminem is. <laughs> but all right, that's it. That's all I didn't like. There was a lot to like from that game, and uh, yeah, Notre Dame's got Wake Forest this upcoming weekend. So let's get into that. But first, let's do a little segment we like to call Sunday's headlines, where we predict the very real headlines in the papers on Sunday. Luke, would you like to lead us off? Yes, absolutely. Um, I guess with my first headline. Pretty to the point. Felipe Franks retires from football. Felipe Franks, longtime Florida quarterback, at one point a very highly rated blue chip recruit. Now at Arkansas for new coach Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman making his coaching debut against his old team, the Georgia Bulldogs. Arkansas might be the worst team in the Power Five football, um, and Felipe Franks is a horrific quarterback. Horrific. Um, I think they're probably going to lose by 40. Uh, this new look Georgia offense, I think, kind of lights it up. And I just think Felipe Franks is awful. And that's just a really rough debut for Sam Pittman. But yeah, I think after that, Franks is just going to want to stop playing football. So that's, uh, Luke that's Smith, my first time. Not a fan of transfer quarterbacks. 
Yeah, wow. Maybe this is some underlying <laughs> bias, but uh, that's not why. I hated him when he was at Florida, too. <laughs> okay. All right, that's good. All right. Uh, my headline, Terry Wilson, Blue Jesus 2.0, Cats roll over Tigers in Auburn. That's Whoa. a salute to, Yeah, Cats roll. Ten and a half point dogs, too. Uh, I think Auburn is grossly overrated. They only have ten returning starters. They lost four guys on defense to the draft. I think that uh, they're just ranked as high as they are because they're in the SEC, and uh, that's how this works. But I think Kentucky actually is a really good team, and they actually have a quarterback this year. They won't be throwing uh, Lynn Bowden, running back slash receiver slash quarterback hybrid um, under center or in shotgun this year. So I think Kentucky not only covers, I would take Kentucky Moneyline, and there is my uh, betting advice for the day, although I wouldn't really listen to me. I bet on the Browns last week. Yeah, let me give that disclaimer right now. Don't (laughs) listen to either of us when it comes to to betting. but Especially with horse racing. Ah, jeez. Tis the law. We won't even speak about it. All right, what's your other headline? Staying in the state of Florida, uh, my headline in the Gainesville Gazette, I hope that's a newspaper, I honestly don't know, is Florida Fields, Kyle Trask, Trevon Grimes, and nine bouncers from local Gainesville bars in route over Ole Miss. I don't know if you saw this today, um, but Dan Mullen came out and was asked, so anything to report in terms of off-season suspensions or, or COVID-related miss uh, absences? And he said, you'll find out on Saturday. I don't know how that's allowed, um, that he can just you know not say anything when it does seem like Florida has had some issues with COVID. But then again, Ed Orgeron got away with saying that most of LSU's team has already had COVID and nobody really batted than I. So things are just <laughs> different in the SEC. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, who knows who the hell Florida's going to have on the field on Saturday? Um, but I do think they they still hammer Ole Miss, and it's exciting to to have the SEC back in our lives. I agree. The college football slate last weekend was just atrocious. So boring. Like Miami Louisville being primetime game, like that's a good AC. Like, it was so bad. Yeah. That, so this week we got Big Twelve back. A lot of games. Well. Big 12 has been playing, but this week they have a first like real slate. Pretty much everyone was off last week. And then the SEC is back this weekend. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. But my other headline, who do you know here? Power 5 commissioners confused by Larry Scott's, that's Pac-12 commissioners, requests to be a part of the playoff this season. Uh, I mean, you, we could go on and on and on about how the Pac-12 is just completely inept when it comes to football and staying relevant. And now they don't even know how to follow the Big Ten's lead. They just they have no plan, no structure. They're just sort of out in San Francisco in this super nice, super expensive headquarters, but with no realistic plan. So those are the headlines. But you actually have one more pertaining to the Notre Dame-Wake Forest game this weekend. Yeah, uh, this is the worst thing I've ever written or come up with in my head, <laughs> but I just had to had to do this here. Um, Irish spread deacons all over BB&T Stadium in Duke's Mayo Classic. I still, we mentioned this earlier, can't <laughs> believe be, a it's goddamn... It's a Darren Ravel headline. Yeah, a, a goddamn mayonnaise company is sponsoring this football game and, and a rather what should be ho-hum one, too. Um, but with that, had to incorporate that into a headline somehow. I'm sure some idiot will write that. Maybe, nah, I'm not going to say any names. Speaking of Wake Forest, um, you like to get into that preview for that game? Yeah, Notre Dame is minus 17 and a half. First row game of the season. Game's on at noon, which is kind of nice. And presumably, without several guys who missed time this past weekend due to COVID protocols, Notre Dame released a statement today sort of kind of explaining that. Um, and yeah, I think that Notre Dame is going to be either due to contact tracing or to players actually testing positive. 
um, we're going to see another thin Notre Dame starting lineup. Notre Dame didn't even release a depth chart today. Part of that is due to privacy reasons. You know, they don't want to give away who tested positive and who's in contact tracing um, because they're students. It's meant to be private. You release the depth chart. It's kind of a dead giveaway. So they didn't do that. Wake has a pre-established quarterback in Sam Hartman. Uh, people forget he actually beat out Jamie Newman, the uh, former, well, transferred to Georgia and then opted out once he lost the job to JT Daniels. But Jamie Newsom, solid quarterback. Sam Hartman beat him out in 2018. He's pretty established. They just put up 42 points on NC State. They only have three starters back in offense this season, but uh, I think Dave Clawson has actually been a pretty good coach for Wake. They finished 8-5 and five last year, and it's not like they're recruiting a uh, high crop of talent over there at Wake Forest, but they've got a pretty decent program. I don't, I'm not saying that Notre Dame is necessarily in trouble, but I don't know. That's pretty much uh, what we got to. That, that's pretty much what we should expect this weekend. So, how do you think the game's going to go? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Sam Hartman two years ago, starting against Notre Dame, and what was Ian Book's first start slash kind of coming out party? I was at that game that day in Winston Salem. It was hotter than the seven hells. Um, I <laughs> sweated through my clothes. There are some really nasty pictures of that. They did nice. serve beer in the stadium. Um, but it was a, honestly a great day. Uh, Notre Dame hammered Wake Forest, and Hartman took a bunch of hits that day. Um, I think he ended up leaving the game in the fourth quarter because yeah, he, he just, was getting destroyed. Yeah, I felt bad for the guy. Doesn't look like it's going to be nearly as hot this time around, and of course there will be no fans. But I- I'm kind of hoping that uh, it'll be a lot like two years ago. Wake did score a lot of points last week. It worries me that you know Tariq Bracey probably out this week, given what Notre Dame released. Um, but we did see Clarence Lewis play pretty well last week. Nick McLeod was held out at the other corner for the most part, played pretty yeah, limited snap count. But it'll be interesting. Uh, a 17 and a half um, is an odd line. Also, I don't know if you saw this, Notre Dame explained their travel plans. They're doing most of their work in South Bend on Friday and then flying out Friday nights and then playing a noon game Saturday. That kind of worries me a little bit. They're doing it for COVID reasons. You know, they're also, every player's going to have their own room. So that's kind of interesting as well. But yeah, I think Notre Dame gets the job done on Saturday. I think we probably win this one 31 to 10, I'm going to say. But hopefully it looks a lot like two years ago and Ian Book is hitting on a short game. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I think when you can run the ball as effectively as Notre Dame has shown they've been able to do, I think that it's really hard to upset a team like that. And when you have an offensive line that's as experienced as Notre Dame's is, as big as Notre Dame's is, and you have a stable of running backs, they're all very capable in their own right. And I think the final score is going to be Notre Dame 27, Wake Forest 3. All right. Sounds like we're pretty much in agreement on Saturday's outcome. Uh, Let's get on to our conversation with Mike McGlinchey, where he talked about his love for CJ's pub at length. However, before we get to the interview, just wanted to remind everyone that if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast so far, Please give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Sons of Sat Irish, and please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple, and now Google Play and Amazon, so that should cover all the bases. We've been having a ton of fun doing these so far and really appreciate the help in getting the word out about this. All right, let's get on to Mike McGlitchy. All right, our next guest is a former two-time captain of the Notre Dame football team, All-American, and current right tackle and captain of the San Francisco 49ers, Mike McGlinchey. Mike, what's going on, man? Thanks for doing this in the middle of the season. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me on, man. 
We actually had Pete Sampson on not too long ago, and he said you were one of his favorite people to interview in 20 years on the Notre Dame beat. So that's pretty high praise. He's pretty stingy on that stuff too, man. So he's uh, that's a pretty big compliment. <laughs> Pete's a pro. He's one of the best out there. I still, uh, still talk to Pete pretty regularly. He's a great guy. All right, so we'll put you to the test right away. You ready? So power rank the three grossest bathrooms at South Bend bars, counting down with one being the grossest of them all. Man. Well, there's only like four, there's only like really four or five. So if you stay <laughs> three, I guess you're doing pretty good. Right. So, um, I'd say CJ's CJ's bathroom was pretty gnarly on Saturday nights. That's probably number one. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in there. Both. I think I've never been in the women's bathroom at CJ's, but I would assume <laughs> that it was pretty reckless as well. Saw the line. Yeah. There, there's always a line there. And that's the problem with the, the guys line kind of, um, dissipates way too fast for how many people need to go so there that must mean there's a lot of stuff flying around in there that uh isn't going where it's it's not being disposed of how properly should uh i'd say that's probably number one Phoebe's definitely Phoebe at its height was definitely number two because but what saved Phoebe is that there was like four or five different bathrooms in there so one didn't get all the usage like CJ's did. So there was only one bathroom. I remember some weekends at CJ's though, they had porter potties, which was just as bad because they unlocked a back door to the bar, which was just made things even shadier back then. And then uh, new uh, Finney's bathroom is pretty bad. I say that's probably third. And then rounding out the top five, I guess you have Corby's and new Finney's. Uh, the backer, the backer's bathroom was okay, actually. So backer's top five too luke how does that compare to your list yeah i think i think i'd agree with that i might flip up i guess you know it's a good point that you raised about Fiv at, at its peak with four or five different bathrooms to kind of spread out the wasteland if you will um i, I think finney's is pretty nasty just because i mean there was frankly no door on the bathroom which i think just kind of encourages people to do as they will um but I definitely agree. I think CJ's at the top. I mean, people just kind of make their own rules and, and create their own little their bathroom. So I, I hard to argue with that. Yeah, I think CJ's at its peak, man, was like well, because I, I know a lot of people don't go there as much anymore, which is depressing. It made a comeback my senior year. I graduated twenty nineteen. It's definitely made a comeback. I think in the last year and a half or so. So we were like, like by the time we were fifth years, everybody kind of started migrating to uh, FND. Right. I guess the student body calls it noofs now. Which I hate. It's the worst name ever. It's really upset that that's what it's referred to as. Yeah. Sounds like a like a Lord of the Rings character or something. Yeah, it sounds like a Shire or something. But yeah, so that's when that's when CJ's kind of became like the old person bar. And CJ's, I you know, I grew up in CJ's. Saw a lot of stuff <laughs> happen in CJ's, you know. It was uh, it made you into a man pretty quick in there. <laughs> Absolutely, hard to argue with that. And, and and speaking of you know kind of being made a man, um, I guess on a more serious note, uh, recently your name captain of the, of the 49ers and only your third year in the league. I guess just something I'm wondering: how were you able to gain such strong credibility in, in a veteran locker room in, in such a short period of time? Um, well, one, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the exact answer to it, but I know I've had a lot of help along the way. Um, I, I've had, I've been fortunate that everywhere that I've been, whether it be Notre Dame or in the 49ers, I've always had somebody to, to look to, to lean on when I first started. And that kind of showed me the ropes of the way to do it. And 
Um, it was the Martin brothers when I first showed up at Notre Dame. They taught me that, you know, I thought those guys were as good of leaders as I've ever been around. Um, they were, they were, you know, Nick is one of my, is obviously one of my closest friends and Zach, a good friend of mine too. Um, but those guys were, you know, the, the end all be all when I was early in college and I kind of just leaned off of them. And then when I was, uh, when, when I was, when I came to the Niners, Joe Staley, um, was our left tackle and, and, uh, my one of my other best friends he's a great great human being he but such a good pro and he always showed you the way to do things the right way how to come into work every day how to take care of your business how to act in a in a locker room with such diverse um, circumstances and life situations and you know even job dis, job situations and so it's a, it's a it's a hard thing to navigate a little harder in the, in the NFL uh, but you know I just try to be myself try to be as uh, as authentic as I can be work as hard as I can and and uh, good things start happening. And, and uh, so I've been very fortunate along the way and, and uh, extremely honored to have been voted a captain this year for sure. It sounds like you've been surrounded by unbelievable football talent since you were a little kid. I mean, it's been pretty well documented that you come from an awesome football family that has, I'm, last I heard it was at least seven former college football players. Has that changed? Yeah, my brother just went. So he's, he's playing uh, – football at her sinus college so it's another another one's added but uh yeah we're probably about like 10 dudes that played college football and uh four of us were actually in in division one so that's pretty it's been pretty cool yeah that's i mean that's incredible so i wanted to go back in time a little bit to when you're a recruit you were a high four star coming out of william penn charter you had offers from several big time programs especially programs known for their offensive line particularly wisconsin and michigan however you didn't have that much experience playing offensive line at the time. So what was that recruiting process like for you? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was a pretty cool experience, man. I did it really old school. Um, I, 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 um, I didn't go to camps or anything like that. I didn't go to these circuit things or anything for these recruiting websites, which I think I wouldn't have been able to get away with and if I still went to high school. Like these days, I think it's gotten, you know, out of control how much these kids have to do in high school to try and get themselves out there. And if you're not doing it, then I guess you look like, you know, it's, it's like a whole competitive edge thing. And it's sad that it's gotten to that point, but you know, I just said, I, I said, I remember it was before huddle was invented. So I didn't have the easy access of like cutting clips. My first time, my junior year huddle was a, a thing my senior year. So to get my senior, my junior clips out, I remember sitting in my head coaches like middle school science office with them and like cu cutting up tapes on a CD wow. to send out coaches and stuff like that. Wow. And that's all I did. And then I, um, I was fortunate to receive a few offers early that, uh, that kind of got me a little steam moving forward. And, um, Notre Dame was the school that I grew up rooting for. And I was an Irish Catholic kid from Philadelphia. So it kind of, it didn't really, uh, it didn't really make much sense to go anywhere else. And once they got, once they gave me my offer, um, I committed to them in my first visit. What was that visit like? It was incredible. Me and my dad came out of my spring break at junior year of, uh, of my high school. I, I was in the middle of uh, track season or something. And we, I, I went out, we were supposed to do all four Midwest schools that had offered me. So I was going to go Notre Dame first, Wisconsin second, and then Michigan and Michigan state uh, third and fourth. And so I was hitting these all in the same week. Cause so we were going to do a ton of driving and it was going to be uh, a wild week of whirlwind kind of stuff. And when I got to campus, I got to Notre Dame first and it was the place that I knew I wanted to go to school. And I, yeah. I always knew that that was who I wanted to be and where I wanted to be. And, um, when I got there, um, 
everything kind of just fell right into place and it became even more magical than I even thought it could ever be. And um, I actually didn't recruit. So I, I was called in on Sunday morning right before me and my dad were going to leave to go to Wisconsin. And I got called into uh, Chuck or Harry. He stands off as first, who was my O-line coach during my time there. And then Chuck Martin, who was the uh, offensive coordinator at the time, he's now the head coach at, my, at Miami of Ohio. Um, but he was my, he and Harry recruited me. And so I sat in Chuck's office with my dad for about two hours and they pressed me on it. They're like, I don't understand why you would go anywhere else. You know, we got another guy coming in that if he commits, we're going to have to kind of close our O-line spot um, because we're not taking that many. I don't know if that, I don't know to this day if that was a ploy or not, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what put the pressure on. <laughs> yeah. So that's what they said to me. But I said, well, you know, it's, it's just, it's not, uh, it's just me and my dad, my mom's not here with us. So I'm going to have to talk to her first. And, uh, you know, the good Catholic family that we are, we went to mass at the Basilica before we left. And uh, after I must've gotten hit with the, with the divine Holy spirit. Cause we were about 10, <laughs> 10 minutes on the Indiana toll road. And I told my dad, you got to pull the car over. And uh, I, I think I just made a huge mistake by leaving that place. <laughs> and so I called, I called Harry back and uh, finally got through to him. And I was like, hey, coach, if you still have that spot, I'd really love to take it. I, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to go to Notre Dame. And so I, well, I, I, that's not true. That's after I called my mom and my uncle first, too. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty cool. It was a cool uh, – I committed from a gas station. Everybody else was doing those uh, bleeper report videos. And I was <laughs> sitting at a super station at the uh, Indiana Toll Road. That is fantastic. And so, you know, obviously, once you get to Notre Dame um, – you were lucky enough to kind of be a part of some some loaded offensive line groups, whether that be in you know 2015, where there's on that roster now I guess four current NFL starters with yourself, Ronnie Stanley, Quentin Nelson, and Nick Martin, plus Steve Elmer, who is obviously a five star and coming out of high school too. But I guess what I'm curious about is you know it's that 2017 group that won the Joe Moore Award for best offensive line in the country. But in your opinion, which group was better, the 2015 or the 2017 group? Um, both. Both of them are better than the other for different reasons. And um, I would say that 15 probably had more talent. Obviously, it did, it did um, with the starters being, you know, on the left side, you had both the first team left tackle all pro and the first team left guard all pro, both playing next to each other. And then Nick at center was an unbelievable leader for us, commanded the troops, and obviously a phenomenal college player. Steve Elmer, um, who in his own right was a phenomenal college player, college offensive lineman would have probably been a second or third round pick himself had he chosen to continue to play football. And then, you know, I like to consider myself a pretty talented football player too on the right tackle. So really talented, close, fun group that year. Um, but we didn't win that award. So I, I guess uh, that was the first year of that award. And um, we were really crushed that we didn't get it. And I, and, um, but we, we did some special stuff that year. Like I remember closing the year, we had a run, we had a chance to make one of the first playoffs and we're at Stanford in 15. And it's like, they're, we're like top six or something and they're top 10. And we had averaged 9.7 yards of carry on like a number five defense in the country or whatever that night. And we were just running all over them. And it was because of how good we were. And that was one of the coolest moments. My crew wind up losing the game on a bad PI call and a late field goal, but, you know, we'll figure that out later. Um, and then 17 was cool. 17 was a cool group. Um, and I think it's a, I'm a, it's a group I'm more proud of because the year before we went through that debacle of being four and eight. 
And um, the work, I, I, I mean, I remember the work that Q and I put in that off season. I mean, not just Q and I, but um, we were, the way that we were battling with each other in, in, in just January and February, trying to compete in the weight room and um, saying like, you know, just understanding that that was never going to happen in Notre Dame football again. And um, we went out and dominated, you know, Josh had his Heisman run, which was really cool uh, being a part of that. And then we wound up, uh, you know, wound up winning the Joe Moore award, which was extremely special to us because um, Joe Moore was our Harry Heastan's mentor. So right. it, it meant the world to him winning that award. That's interesting. I, I wanted to touch on that 2016 season because you were captain of both teams, 2016 and 2017. Obviously which, a bad captain the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this very different turnouts. And I was looking back at it and there honestly wasn't a ton of roster turnover between, a little bit more so on the defensive end, but on offense, there are a lot of similarities except at the quarterback position. So, you know, lots been made about Brian Kelly 2.0 and how he sort of reinvented himself as a coach and how the whole coaching staff operated. But as one of the leaders of the teams, could you walk us through that offseason, what that was like for you as a leader and the other leaders on the team and how you truly changed the culture and turned the program around and honestly kept that? I mean, that momentum is still going. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm really proud of. I'm really proud of what that 17 season did for our program moving forward. Uh, I mean, get, going from four and eight to winning 11 games or whatever, we won my te- my fifth year, um, it being with that huge win against LSU in the bowl game. Um, that was a great. I mean, that was a, that was as proud of an accomplishment as I've ever had. I think uh, that off season was crazy, man. We we had instituted uh, a new strength and conditioning coach. And Matt Bayless, who, you know, was like just an electric, like the, put the, the jaws of life on us in, in that offseason. We all came back off of like a four-week hiatus because we didn't qualify for a bowl game. So we went home like everybody else does on winter break. And so we actually got a winter break for the first time. And I remember calling Q at some point during the middle of that, probably watching bowl games or something on New Year's Day and having a couple of drinks or whatever and getting pissed off. <laughs> And um, I was like, dude, this can't ever, this can't ever happen again. Like we're like, we can't, we can't let this happen. This, that was the most, that was the most bullshit football season we've ever put together. And, you know, it's, it's completely in-house that these changes need to be made. And so when Bayless got hired, we had heard these rumblings of like what kind of dude this guy was and like what kind of strength conditioning program he ran. And we were like, we were like, we better get our ass ready to go because this guy's going to kill us. And sure enough, the first two weeks of that program were like, if you're not ready to go, you better get the hell out of the building because it was, it was a culture shock and guys were had to be pushed harder and guys competed harder. Um, that whole spring ball was, I remember, I remember going into that spring ball being like, wow, man, we're flying the hell around. Like, this is really cool. We're getting really good job. We're doing a really good job here. Um, I'm excited to get going. And then once training camp hit, we were like, all right, we got a, we got a legit chance here to do something special. And it all kind of started that winter being like, you know, it was kind of like that MJ, that MJ talk of like, you can't, your teammates, we're never going to let the, what the, the stuff happen of, of everything. And um, like we had, you know, a rest the year before four and eight seasons the year before, people missing workouts the year before, you know, like stuff like that. That was like, if this happens, we're going to be all over it. And, 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 and it changed for the better. And we, uh, we competed our ass off. A lot of guys stepped up in a huge way that year. Um, 
and, you know, won 11 games, which was huge. A hundred percent. And you bring up that point of just really knowing that you had to get it all together in order for that to, to never happen again. But I have to ask you the, the payoff of that. I mean, how fun was it that six game stretch after the Georgia loss where you guys won every game by at least 20 points? How fun was that? Just kicking the shit out of everybody. Essentially, it just felt like every game you were just going to make whatever hole you could and, and Josh was going to run for forever. And I mean, I know as a fan, it was so much fun to watch. You guys just dominate every game. How fun was that to play? Yeah, the Georgia, the Georgia, I don't think that season happens the way it does without the Georgia game. Um, I remember that was like my lowest point of my career, man. I had like given up that little strip sack at the end of the game that kind of cost us the chance to drive down and, and get the, and get the point, at least a field goal to tie it up. So I kind of screwed our team there. And I remember like driving around after that being like, God damn, like this is as good as this is as bad as it gets right here. And um, after that, we went on a mission and I remember feeling like, right before the Miami game, which obviously is folklore in the opposite way, right? We don't speak about that. We don't talk about that night. <laughs> curse stadium. Yeah, the week before, yeah, it is a curse stadium. Can't win there. It's yeah. terrible. But, um, yeah, they. I remember the week before that. I, I can't remember who we played, whether it was like – it was like after the Michigan State game when we won by like 30 or 40, I was like, holy shit, we're capable. We might make it to the playoffs. Like, we're going to keep punching our ticket here, and nobody's going to stop us. And then um, ran into a little brick wall at Miami, and then Stanford didn't go our way either. But um, it was a hell of a year anyway. I want one follow-up on that. Was that, like, from a player's perspective, you know, the fans, a lot of people have written about how hostile that environment was. Luke was at that game at Miami. As a player being on that field, was it truly that different than any road environment you'd experienced? It was a wild one for sure. That was like uh, – it was kind of like the, the – the reincarnation of the Catholics versus convicts, because right. it was the first time it was the, like, obviously ND had that run in 2012, which was, you know, pretty historic when they went undefeated and everything. So we had had some winning recently and we had been a top 10, 15 program for the time that I was in school, 15, we almost went to the playoffs, you know, so stuff like that. And Miami, that was the first time they had really tasted kind of real success since all their boys left in like 01 and 02 and 03. And so it was like a long time coming for them. And so they were so excited. And I remember, um, I remember looking at some dudes after we, we drove in on a team bus and uh, I was on the offensive bus or whatever. And I remember our window getting like absolutely cracked, almost shattered, didn't quite get all the way through because people were pelting full beer cans at our windows and stuff. So it was like, you felt it as soon as you pulled in, it was a nut, it was a crazy night. And then the first quarter happens where a couple bad bounces go our way. They, you know, defensive touchdowns happen. And then you're playing from down. You spotted them 21 points. And then you got to play on your heels the rest of the game. So um, they jumped on us quick, man. And it was over before it started. It was a, it was a, bad, it was a bad, bad night. I'm not sure what caused it, but it, uh, it was a bad night. It was a really, really bad night. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely just some some bad juju there, but enough of that. We don't speak of that night to begin with, but I guess before we go into some rapid-fire questions to end this, um, I wanted to give you a chance to kind of just reminisce a little bit on your five years in South Bend, and, and when you look back, what are some of those fondest memories you have as a Notre Dame student-athlete? Well, obviously, the football memories and everything like that speak for itself. Um, you know, played in some crazy, cool environments in college football. There's nothing quite like big-time college football. Um, with the exception of the Super Bowl, every coolest game that I've ever played was was probably like one of at least the atmospheres were matched at, at the biggest of college 
football stadiums that I've ever played in and going, you know, doing the things that we did to USC, my fifth year at home, that was always really memorable. Right. Fifth, even though we lost the 15 game in Clemson was like one of the coolest football things that I've ever been a part of when we won in Philly in my hometown, we beat, uh, we beat Temple who was undefeated that year. That was on the last second touchdown by the, our other Philly boy, Will Fuller, um, clinched the, clinched the game in our hometown. That was really, really cool. Um, my first start in Nashville was always, was really memorable. That's when I kind of came to realize that I can really play and I can, you know, start to do it. But the things that I remember most about school rarely ever have to do with football, man. Our school is a special, special place. Um, and it's, and it's filled with special people. And, um, no matter if they were on the football team, um, I had another, you know, I had other friends in other sports teams, you know, whether I had all my friends in legacy, we had a, you know, I still am in this, like a 35 man group chat with, we called it, uh, legacy, legacy or kegacy or something like that. I think that's our group chat name. Those guys are unbelievable dudes. I see them, you know, a couple times a year. I always try and make my way up to the Midwest at some point. Cause a lot of them work in Chicago and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it's all those memories of, you know, all the times that it's, it's, it's not, it's never the game. That's the most fun part of the Saturday. It's always celebrating with all your favorite people at CJ's pub and the, and Jay, the bartender and Angela and, and Jay, the guys that let you in the door and, 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 and all those people. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, 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 that's the stuff that you remember. It's the, it's the memories like that, that um, make our, our spot such a special place. All right, we'll keep it on that note now with some rapid-fire questions. The first one is sort of a reoccurring question. We asked Golik Jr. this too. So what is the strangest thing you've seen inside Feeve? Or since I know CJ's is your place, what's the strangest thing you've seen inside CJ's? Yeah, Feeve, I think the strangest thing I've seen in Feeve um, is when it was like a t- – it was like a – there was like a theme night for like a bunch of swingers or something. And they were, they were, there, they were there on a random night that we were in there, like on a bar tour, like our senior year. Cause we were going to hit all the bars that we had, we had, had been to over our time there. And it was like a, it was like a swingers party from the tri-state area of Michigan, Illinois, and Indiana. It was bizarre. Yeah. That's South Bend in a nutshell right there. Yeah. So, so that was weird. What about at CJ's? Yeah, so CJ's was our spot, man. CJ's is the best bar in America. I will stand by that. I'll, I'll I agree. Put that on my gravestone that I love CJ's Pub and Paradise is definitely a burger at CJ's Pub. <laughs> but it's uh, so there's the most ridiculous stuff always happens in like the bathrooms, and I'm pretty sure you know you can still smoke cigs in there. I'm pretty sure. I don't, I don't <laughs> know, but yeah. yeah, you know the guy, you know the the DJs are the best. Um, the craziest thing I've seen. I mean, I think we had. One year, for whatever reason, the song of that year, the, one of the one of the big songs everybody loved was uh, "Dog Days Are Over" by Florence and the Machine. When that came on, I like it was like a light fluttering, and people were just like throwing pitchers of beer all over the place. And that was it was almost like a food fight scene from a movie. That was pretty wild um, in CJ's. And then anything that goes on in those bathrooms is pretty pretty disgusting. Yeah. Now our, our sources have told us that you've known you've been known to put down a beer in, in pretty impressive time, probably at CJ's. Was there anyone on the team that could chug faster than you? Um, Q got Q was pretty close. Hunter Biven was pretty close. Um, Durham Smythe will tell you that he was tr- he was close, but he sucks. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, what I'm actually, hearing is no. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think I was there. Oh, Nick Martin beat me. He Nick Martin beat me before, uh, but he was he was the Nick Martin was. 
the best chugger of beer that I've ever seen. He was he was very impressive with the solo cup in his hand. Well, Logan Plants is one of our boys. He's uh, so no love for him. Logan can shotgun a beer. Logan Logan is he's not as fast of a chugger as me, uh, but he can. He, he's he's way more he's way more of a marathoner than me. He can last. <laughs> he lasts forever. I can't do that. <laughs> I could see that. All right, toughest player you've played against in college or the NFL? Uh, in the NFL, it's it's my teammate Nick Bosa. Uh, I think he's the best. I think him and uh, him and then Chandler Jones, who I just played this past week in Arizona, is pretty damn good too. Uh, and Von Miller. Oh, those those three are probably my top three that I've ever played um, in the league. But in college, I played Chubb Bradley Chubb twice. He was probably my my highest rated competition when I played in college. So the, and then the any of the boys from LSU or Miami, but they were more of like uh, and the Georgia guys too. Roquan Smith when we were when we played them at Georgia, felt like he was moving at a speed that none of us had ever seen before. So. Um, that was a pretty impressive – I'd never been that impressed by a linebacker before, but Roquan, the night that we played uh, George at home, was pretty impressive. All right. Be sure to watch Mike and the 49ers against the Jets this Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Follow him on Twitter at mmcglinch68 and watch him ball all season long. Mike, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it, man. That's a wrap with Mike McGlinchey. That was a really awesome interview. Um, really cool to just hear him reminisce a little bit about his time and getting the opportunity to talk to him in the middle of the season is just really, really special. So we appreciate it. Luke, you got any final thoughts? Yeah, I concur with pretty much everything you just said right there. Awesome conversation with Mike. Still can't believe he spent five years in South Bend. There was a running joke amongst our friend group that I spent like seven years in South Bend, and it was only four, but it, it honestly felt like 14 at times. Five years in that place is a long time. As much as we love it, it's, it's a long time. Four years was plenty. I remember on my, on my last, like when I was driving home for the last time, I was like, you know, obviously really upset, just said goodbye to a bunch of really good friends. And as I'm driving out, I just saw this like homeless dude walking. I don't even know. I, he might not even been homeless. This might just be your regular, just South Bend local. He might have dabbled in some crack. Anyway, he's just walking in the middle of the road and just like causing a scene in traffic. And I kind of laughed for a little bit because I was like, you know what? At least I don't have to live here anymore. So love South Bend, but four years is plenty. I can't even imagine doing five. No, me neither. Um, never saw anybody get so much as a speeding ticket there. I, I'm convinced it lives in its own dimension for better and worse, not or and worse. Yeah, I'm still looking for my two laptops, but uh, that's all we got for this one. Great show. Thanks for everyone who listened. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe. And Luke, uh, we'll do it again next week. Sounds great.